As far as I'm concerned, you're better off having an opinion, even if it's wrong, than having no opinion at all. Take control of the conversation and participate in it. It's okay to be wrong. You don't have to be right all the time. That's Lynette Parman, AM, who founded Women's Network Australia in 1990. And this is WNA Trailblazers. WNA Women's Network Australia. Trailblazers. WNA Trailblazers, amplifying the stories of women in business. Hosted by Women's Network Australia CEO Cheryl Gray and me, Louise Poole, managing partner from podcast and content production business, Welcome Change Media, proud media partner of Women's Network Australia. It might be easy to see where some women are today in the business world and assume that those opportunities have always been available. But everything that we gain has been hard fought for. And 30 years ago, it was even more rare to see women in leadership positions. Someone who was at the forefront of leading positive change for women, and as a result started this very network that we're a part of, is Lynette Parman AM, who current Women's Network Australia CEO Cheryl Gray will be chatting to in this episode. Cheryl, let's talk about using your voice. Yes. Look, it seems like an obvious and natural thing for many of us. Mm-hmm. but Well, we're using it now. Well, we are using it now, but it's such a powerful tool, but it is something that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah. And, you know, for women in business in particular, and at a time when Lynette and colleagues formed this organization, women having a voice was not seen as a good thing necessarily, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So there were individuals who stood out and there were many who were potentially highly discouraged from finding a voice and from having a voice. So I think the role that Women's Network and other groups played was really to help women see they had a voice, they should find the opportunity to use it and use it for good, you know, for their own good, for the good of the community, for the good of their families, for the good of their workplaces and their colleagues. And they did. And because they used their voice 30 years ago, we've been able to build on the shoulders of giants and use ours now. Absolutely. But, you know, it's still a theme that we continue to work with through Women's Network Australia is helping women to find their voice. Mm. And there's lots of reasons why women still may not yet have found their voice. It's there, but it's just about discovering it within them and bringing it forward. So yeah, really, really important tool that we need to all learn and harness and manage and control as well. So let's listen to your chat this episode with Lynette Parman, AM, founder of Women's Network Australia, who built it up over 27 years, having started with just a modest network of four women. Four women really working together and deciding that they wanted things to be a bit different. Welcome, Lynette. Lovely to talk to you again. It's great to be the current baton holder of Women's Network Australia, which you founded back in the 90s. And I'd really love to just share with those who are listening how Women's Network came to be. Thanks, Cheryl, and um, it's wonderful to know that you are the current baton holder (laughs) and that the legacy is progressing. Women's Network Australia started, well, the idea sort of started in about 88 in my mind. Um, I was working in the financial sector in a senior management role 
the only woman working for that company across Australia in amongst 40 male senior, senior members. So it was a bit isolating, but um, luckily I used my voice well and managed to fight the battle. But um, in 1990, over that two-year period, I had decided that I would get some girlfriends together who were in the same position as myself and just meet regularly to, you know, swap information, work out how we could, the strategies for how we could progress share ideas, share referrals, introduce each other to people. And really it was from those four girlfriends that the idea of Women's Network Australia started. So it was really formalising what had been a very loose arrangement and women started to say, oh, could I come to that lunch place? So, you know, our lunch for four turned into lunch for 10, turned into lunch for 15, and then we decided that we'd invite someone from the group to address each of the luncheons. So then, of course, I had to find a venue to hold those luncheons in. You know, the rest is sort of history. But the reason behind it was that women were quite isolated in senior positions. In my role, I was having conversations because I was working in the financial and investment sector with women who were not reaching financial independence, were leaving divorces with no money, had no skills other than that they, you know, were working for someone and that they were now having to actually balance raising children on their own and holding down a job. So there was sort of this move in 1990s, the economy wasn't great, and there was a move towards micro-business ownership. Mm -hmm. So women were tending to look for flexibility and they still are. I mean, COVID, COVID's given it a good push in the right direction. But the only way you get flexibility with workplaces in those days was to actually leave and start your own business. Mm -hmm. And I was seeing that trend happening. However, you know, they didn't necessarily have the skills. They didn't have the confidence. They didn't have the networks to tap into. They didn't know how to write a business plan, a marketing plan, and they collectively wanted to educate themselves or learn and interact with other women to do that. So, you know, that along with all the other issues were around at the time. There was other women's organisations around when I started Women's Network Australia. However, most of those organisations were in the old format of we get together, and I won't name the organisations, but they were around 30 years ago, you know, we get together and we have a meeting once a week or once a month and we have a charity of choice and we all get together and we work towards fundraising for that charity. Whereas a mother who is working full-time is single with two children in a corporate position and at university just wants to write a cheque. Mm -hmm. So I thought there's this other women like me, surely. You know, they don't have the time to be baking or at a street stall or whatever. And so where are these other women? Gather them. They will just write cheques for their favourite charity or the organisations such as Women's Network Australia will take care of. Here's an easy way. Donate this. This is what we're doing. We're buying 1,000 pairs of undies for homeless women. We're doing this. And they would just give because... They could, and you made it easy for them. So I think it's about placing yourself in the proximity of opportunities, but that's no good if you don't recognise them. You mm. have to be able to recognise and act on them. Can we just talk about some of those issues? Because they're, they're quite significant. Affirmative action, I recall at the time, was a big deal and there was a, a big build-up to the affirmative action act legislation coming in. Yes. And, and, and the, but there are things now that I think a lot of 
women take for granted, you know, that, that concept oh, that you'd oh. get a job based on merit. Woohoo! Yes. Like, who'd have thought? Yes. Well, in 1990, the number of women in senior roles was quite slim. There was no pay equality. There were very few female politicians. And if they were, they only got there because they stood in an unsafe seat and happened to win it. Mm. They were usually disposed of by being given a poison chalice. You know, if you've got a problem, then you give it to a female politician and then, of course, she ends up being thrown out. Mm. There was next to zero technology. Mm. So when Women's Network started, membership cards were index cards written out manually and certificates and membership kits were typed on typewriters. Wow, that's incredible. You know, banks would not lend to women unless their husband went to the interview. Mm. You know, we tend to forget all these things. But it, in my mind, it's part of my lifetime. Yep. yep. But, you know, if you're born in 1990 or 97, you haven't seen these things. I worked originally in a government where you had to leave if you fell pregnant. Yep. The Queensland government, you had to leave. Up until 1976, I think that was the case. And banks, if you worked for any of these people, you had to actually leave. So there was a lot of work to be done. And just maybe 6%, I think it was when I started, women were on the uh, top ASX 200. So there's been a lot of change over the years, which has been hard-fought battles by women. I mean, one of the things that Women's Network gave me was access to be able to lobby government, go onto boards, you know, the work and family boards, all sorts of different initiatives that were started up to try and battle it. And, of course, superannuation, all these things have actually eventuated. And and one big one, of course, was childcare, access to affordable childcare, which just wasn't around then. So it certainly made work and family pretty difficult. It did, which was another reason that women started their own businesses for flexibility to do. But, you know, bear in mind, we're looking after children, we're running a business, we're doing all these things. Childcare was the domain of women. Mm. Men, unfortunately, had very little to do with it Mm. and there was no expectation they would. And there's certainly no paid maternity leave. If you had a child, you just took the time off, you used your holidays and your holiday pay, your sick pay, and that's it. You just didn't get paid. And the chances were anyway, your job wouldn't be there when you got back because you've now had a baby, so you're a mother. And, of course, you were living that at that time as well. You were a single mum to children and growing a new business. How did that play out for you? I was actually at uni and held down this senior position and had a young child and was a single parent. So obviously family support was very important in those days and no partner, obviously. But, you know, having that family support around you made the difference. Mm. Obviously, when my son was old enough, he could go to childcare. But that race to the childcare centre when you're in a corporate job at six o'clock or get charged a dollar for every minute you will play, yeah. <laughs> it was challenging. So the easiest way to do it was get yourself into a senior position where you could actually have some flexibility. So was that about also something that you wanted to share through the network to actually give other women that opportunity to have that flexibility as well? Oh, definitely, Mm. definitely. Mm. So at that stage, it was either get yourself into a senior position, progress within the company you're in, or start your own business, or don't have children. Choose not to have children because it was virtually impossible 
to find childcare spots that you could afford. That was another reason people just left work because it just wasn't worthwhile in those lower paid positions. You'd lose all your money. It's one thing to sort of go from sitting around with some girlfriends and starting a network. You must have then found yourself in some situations where you were asked to comment on things or give opinions on things. Did you kind of have those moments when you kind of thought, what am I doing here? Or did you just take it all in your stride? No, I lived it. I lived it. I mm. loved it. Mm-hmm. I had a few people, I guess, that had their ear to the ground mm. that were at grassroots level with women, gathering them in rooms sucking up all the information I could about them and then working out what strategies could be in place within the organisation to progress their agendas forward. Some agendas you couldn't, others you could. And, yes, a lot of media commentary, obviously radio was big in those days, the Courier Mail developing relationships with the media and so much so that we had to start a media call service in Women's Network because... In the early days, you could ring me and say, oh, I'd like to speak to someone who used to be a pig farmer who now develops and creates perfume range. And got, I, I've got just the person. I've got just the person. <laughs> <laughs> and so I could retain this knowledge. However, you know, it really got to the stage when it started expanding that I didn't have personal experience of everyone that was joining. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this was as technology took off and websites became possible and online, we could create online and people would join the organisation. And we'd certainly do a membership for Mill where they could learn all about what access they had to services within the organisation. But I didn't know everyone's absolute background and history. So that is really how the media call service started, where the journalists, newspapers, whatever, would come to me and say, this is what we need. And then we would pump that out as an alert to all the members and give them an opportunity to comment in the media. Yeah. It was about sharing all the opportunities that were available and doing that for women across Australia. That switch from, I know I've said to you before, I love having the hard copies of the newsletters and the magazines. It's like a historical archive of working women in the past 30 years. And it's so rich in terms of the issues, but also the way things are done. And you could also see from the network, the transition from the pre-internet, pre-digital days into, yes, we We have a website, we're doing things online, we're doing things differently. So you had to be a trailblazer in terms of picking up that technology and new ways of doing things. Yes, yes. I get amazed by listening to people go, you know, Zoom's taken off during COVID, but at Women's Network, we've been using Zoom since 2014-15 with our members. So it's something I'm an avid reader. I read everything. I look at what trends are happening. And yeah, it was that's just the ability that I had. So I'd look at something and think, well, how can we use that? When you first started, Did you ever think that it would be a national network of women that would be around for three decades? Like, did you have that vision in mind or did it just kind of happen? No, it evolved. I imagine the need for it would continue, Mm -hmm. although the agenda of what that need was would change as women evolved, obviously. But no, I didn't imagine that. But of course, as you're doing your planning and you know, looking at where you're taking an organisation, each year it evolved and, you know, new ideas came up. If I'd still been there, I probably would have taken it in a completely different direction to what's happened since 2017. But that's me. 
So at some point in time, you have to let go, obviously, which was very difficult and due to illness, unfortunately, which I'm still battling, but, you know, the brain is still very active, (laughs) as you can tell. What was the reaction, though, when you first got going to those colleagues in the financial sector and more broadly? Was there any negative reaction? Not really because I'd been doing financial independence seminars for women. Right. Part of that role, mm-hmm. they knew my passion was women. Mm-hmm. And in actual fact, men were the very first people that gave me the office space, the time to be able to do it, the computers, partially paid staff. So, you know, men were really supportive of it within the financial services industry. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing, I started Women's Network Australia and men joined. Men were able to join Women's Network Australia. And still are. Any men out there listening, you're welcome to join. There's an awful lot of men that are very supportive. It could be because they target market for their product. They find it's mainly women. Mm. It could be because, you know, they're supportive of daughters or their wives. Mm. It hasn't stopped. It's just more subtle. Mm. And the unconscious bias and whatever, it is still there. But, you know, organisations like Women's Network Australia, I hoped gave women the confidence to use their voices because as far as I'm concerned, you're better off having an opinion even if it's wrong than having no opinion at all. Take control of the conversation and participate in it. It's okay to be wrong. You don't have to be right all the time. You just have to say, oh, that was wrong or whatever. So getting women to use their voices was a big part of Women's Network and that happened within the events. Teaching women to stand up and say something for 30 seconds about themselves was so painful for many women. They're Mm. so frightened of being judged. Yes. And I would say to them, this is a safe place. Make all your mistakes here. This is practice. Learn what to do here so then when you have to go out into a world that isn't supportive and is judgmental, at least you've practised, you've had some skills in it. Mm. Learning to use their voices is very important. So, no, I would say I received support from the industry I came from. And I didn't just do it. I continued to work full-time while running. Yes, yes. Wow. You know, for that three-year period, I continued to work and then came the thing that this just can't continue. Was that a difficult choice for you or was it just you knew that that pathway was taking you there? No, I just just knew. Mm. I just knew it was time to jump and make it happen, basically. Mm. You would have had a lot of achievements, a lot of successes over that time. Are there some that stand out more than others, things that you really are very proud of? I think my ability... As the managing director of Women's Network Australia, one of the one of the wonderful things that came from it was my ability to participate in my charity work. They aligned with each other. So, you know, my heart work was domestic violence, financial poverty for women, homelessness, all these things. And what it allowed me to do was to combine both those. It's really interesting you say that because they're the three charity themes that we are really working hard to support, you know, domestic violence, yes. obviously. Financial independence is something we, we're talking to a number of other partners and collaborators are about. And um, and we just had an amazing event in Melbourne where one of our members is participating in the CEO Sleepout and is an ambassador for Vinnie's CEO Sleepout. Marion. Marion Mays, Marianne. you know, Marion. And, and, you know, she was 
so passionate and just incredible to hear all of those charities. And so they're still going. You know, the essence of what you were passionate about is still there, which is, is really great. And, and some of those things came about, like the CEO challenge, which was, you know, the Lord Mayor of Brisbane approached me about that and said, you know, would you be interested in, in being involved in this and helping us with this? You know, that came out of Women's Network, an amazing thing. There was a shelter, Pindari Homeless Women's Shelter at Spring Hill, and, you know, we supplied 1,000 towels, 2,000 pairs of underpants, and, the, you know, fundraising we used to shut at 9 in the morning and open at 5. So the homeless people, females, in that shelter, there was only 19 beds, were tossed out at 9 o'clock in the morning and it reopened at five. Well, we managed to get that reopened. Members went in and held events such as, you know, teaching them how to do their resumes, teaching them how to scrapbook, teaching them how to knit. Members kept them busy during the day because there was no funding to keep it open. But thank you to Judy Spence at the time, the minister, we managed to get funding for it and get it opened you know, so that it was open, so that, you know, so many things and lots of charity work that I did. And I guess that culminated in me receiving the Order of Australia, receiving mm. my AN, yes. um, you know, for the work that I'd done. So can I put my finger on one thing? Not really, because my AM belonged to everybody, all the women that had participated. So the awards, the Executive Woman of the Year awards, they were absolutely amazing. We ran that program for eight years and then it integrated into the Telstra Business Woman of the Year awards. Yeah, lots of lots of different moments, but um, they all come to create the essence of me, I suppose. And it is really humbling to know that those themes and a lot of that work is still going strong and, and coming through in what we do, which makes me feel really heartened. You and I have talked previously about particularly some of those issues and that sense that the more things change, the more things can seem to stay the same. You know, the unconscious bias you mentioned, there's still a lot of issues that are out there for young women and girls to have to deal with. I'm certainly looking ahead. What does WNA look like? like in the next 30 years, it will be really interesting to see how we tackle those issues moving forward. Well, I think social medias had a big influence on the health and well-being of young women, their level of confidence, their level of body image. All these things have had a big influence on how young women progress. So I guess support for the mental health for young women, but let's not forget that the biggest growth poverty level is women over the age of 55 who are now sleeping in cars and tents and there's no social housing for them. So, you know, we've got a whole new set of problems to address that affect women. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a big one that we will be focusing on, certainly over the year ahead. When you, and you mentioned the decision to move on and some health issues that you've had to deal with as a result, how do you regard your time with WNA? Well, I read things now and I can't believe I was capable of doing it. <laughs> so, really? So, you know, my mobility yeah. issues, I have mobility issues. Yeah. So the thought of the fact that, you know. Because you would have been, you would have been travelling, you would have been. Oh, going. right. To, to board be... meetings, to government meetings, like all yes. the time. Mm. Yes, and now mm. it's a challenge to actually get myself organised to go to a doctor's appointment. <laughs> so, so I look back at it fondly thinking, you know, oh, these are memories. You could do it once. 
the thought that I could be in the office and the girls would look at me and go, you know, you've got a flight to Sydney in an hour and a half. And I'd go, oh. Sure, <laughs> no worries. Rush, rush myself, get organised, pack everything in a suitcase. And I was doing a Sydney-Melbourne-Hobart run that particular week. Yes. Um, yes, and that I could pull it all together. Yes. And, <laughs> and you know, stay sane. <laughs> and, and get myself into the car, drive to the airport, get myself on the plane and then pull that off over three days then. But, you know, I loved it. Once I got there and once I started setting up the rooms and I loved it. I loved it. And, you know, the chance to actually, you know, catch everyone and catch up with them and work out what they were doing and look at their trade display tables as they arrived and started setting them up and find out what had happened in their business that month. Looking back at it, it's got wonderful memories, wonderful memories. Not that I don't do anything these days, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, it's very different to the life I led. I would put in 70-hour weeks easily and, you know, it was never work. No. Not work when you love what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. When you love what you're doing, it didn't feel like work. It felt like a hobby. And being able to integrate your children into that made it a lot easier. So I'm not one for this balancing, balancing work and family. I'm about blending. Yeah, I think that's great. I've always regarded my career as part of that balanced blend as well. And I think it's really important for our children to see that you can have a career, you can have a business, you can do these things, you can really lead by example, and it's not at their expense. Yeah, well, they learn things. Mm. They learn things by being in the office and hanging around. And I mean, not that Madison was learning much at 26 weeks. Okay? <laughs> you never <laughs> more know. More than 26 weeks. But, you know, but that was the other thing. In being able to run your own business, you know, I could actually set up a creche at work and have a room and not have to use childcare mm. because I own the business. So yes, yeah. one of the sensible things I always say to women, you know, if they're trying to balance or blend their work and family and they've got a micro business and they're about to start employing, make sure the very first secretary or receptionist or admin person that you employ has a background in childcare. <laughs> For themselves and for you. Because because when you can't do something, you know, they can step in. So you've got that as a luxury of an admin person that has also worked in childcare. And there's a lot of people back in my day, which was 25 years ago, when I had a baby, Madison, that were wanting to get out of childcare, but didn't know how to get out of childcare. Mm. So, you know, I developed a relationship whilst Madison was going to childcare and with this girl and she'd said to me, you know, I'd love to work for you. I said, done. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> done. The, done. The inside tips. Well, yeah, it's done. So it's a matter of, I think, um, doing the blending, thinking strategically. There are ways of making your home-based business or micro-business or small business family-friendly and just thinking about ways to work smarter. Well, I just want to thank you for sharing what you've shared today, but also being a trailblazer and paving a path for women and helping them along the way, because it's one thing to kind of go out there and do it. It's quite another thing to bring women along with you. And I can't imagine how many women you have had contact with over those 25 years. Um, You must get a lot of Christmas cards, I'd imagine. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, people who you meet who say, do you know you changed my life? Yeah, that's a special feeling. 
along and I go, really? Oh, don't you remember? We were at Matcoother at this thing and this is what happened. And I said, yes, you know, like it is amazing. But, you know, at Women's Network Australia, it was lift while we climb, leave no one behind. If they want to come and they've got their arm out, lift them and support them. That's lovely. Well, I hope I can, uh, as I say, continue it on. And it's really wonderful to hear a lot of the similarities with where I think we're going moving forward. So thank you so much for your time and thank you for everything that you've done. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. And best of luck. And thank you for continuing to follow the path. Listening to Lynette, I am absolutely in awe of how much strength it probably took her um, and the audacity it probably took her as well to be trailblazing a path decades ago in her fight for women. Yeah. So strong. She had to do that. She had she had to be that person at that time. As she said, I don't have any regrets about what I did and how I did it because she couldn't. She, she couldn't have regrets. It was tough. There was no one there to kind of back things up and say, well, if it doesn't work out, you know, this can happen. I mean, it's almost a case of, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's really interesting because there's they're still things that we talk about. I know we've, we've made progress, but we're still talking about domestic violence. We're still talking about homelessness. Like financial independence for women. Like that is, I literally am pushing that, trying to get stuff happening. And it, and it is interesting that, yeah, a lot of the things that she did, we are still doing. Like we are using the network to create a platform for charity. And even the charities are similar. Yeah. The work of trailblazing is ongoing, which is why it's so important for us to be amplifying the stories of women in this series. As women, we're in this together and we've still got a long way to go. So, Cheryl, how can our listeners connect with Women's Network Australia? You can find us on womensnetwork.com.au and we're also on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Instagram. Just look for Women's Network Australia. Next time on WNA Trailblazers. We also know that there's been a real interest in just that experience level, just kind of different types of one-on-one interactions within store that seem to be incredibly popular and is boding well in terms of the bottom line of many of these retailers. Dominic Lamb, retail industry commentator, chats to us about the current lay of the land in the retail sector with some fascinating insights that she brought back from the World Retail Congress in Rome. Women's Network Australia Trailblazers, amplifying the stories of women in business. Follow us from this podcasting app and be the first to hear new episodes. Excited to share your story with our network? Follow the Contact Us link in the show notes to let us know. Women's Network Australia Trailblazers is a Welcome Change Media production.